This show is produced by the Brennis Female Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Mungi. Welcome to the Everyday Ubuntu Podcast. Ubuntu is the philosophy that highlights our common humanity and the idea that we are all interconnected. If you want to know more about Ubuntu, I invite you to pick up a copy of my book, Everyday Ubuntu, Living Better Together, The African Way. Every week on this podcast, I speak to guests who are on a similar journey as mine, fighting for justice and learning along the way. In these conversations, we explore what we can learn from the human experience when we realize we are interconnected and acknowledge each other's point of view. This week, my guest is Ava Hartling, founder of The Brand is Female, an agency that specializes in working with women founders and changemakers, as well as a podcast network that I'm very proud to be a part of. Ava worked for 20 years in the corporate world before making a change of career and starting her own business out of a desire to both amplify women's voices and promote women's rights. A journey with many lessons, a few of which you'll hear about in our discussion. I'm so excited to have you on here. And because of that, I'm going to start with asking you, how does it feel to be on the other side of the interview? It's a little strange. Uh, prepping as a guest for a podcast is completely different than prepping as a host. Uh, it's also very humbling to be on your show because you've had so many uh, amazing personalities, men and women, but uh, recently just been a, a fantastic lineup of women uh, so I'm honored that you've asked me to come on. And also, I want to congratulate you for uh, the success of Everyday Ubuntu so far. Um, I know how much of a commitment it is to get these out every week, and you've been doing a fantastic job. Well, thank you for saying that. And also, I mean, you're you're keeping the lining up, the lineup going up, up, and up. And also, thank you for all the work you put into Everyday Ubuntu. And I was going to say, I may be biased as a producer, <laughs> but I think that was fantastic. I mean, you're doing a lot of work for it. And because of that work, I think we should start with the question that I love to ask people um, about our resumes not being a full explanation of who we are as a person. What is missing from your resume that people should know about you? Well, I think it's what's missing from everyone's resume, right? Because we just see a list of you know, accomplishments, jobs, and what's not in there is all this stuff that, you know, all the questioning, all the hard work, all the detours, um, and there's some accomplishments that don't get listed on our resumes and that to the outside world might might not look like something huge, but they're, they're huge victories for us, right? And it's the kind of stuff we wish we could talk about, but it doesn't end up on a, on a resume. So there's always going to be you know what you're not what you're not reading and you you kind of have to read between the lines and it's it's the failures too right because we learn so much from our failures so that's something i used to ask uh you know if i if i did interviews whenever i i was recruiting staff i want to know what you learned from the stuff that went wrong don't tell me about the stuff that went well because that was the easy part it's really through hardship that you you learn valuable lessons in life and that's what's not in anybody's resume I think you're the first person to even say that too, the the detours and like the doubts, um, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Um, I think it's always, you know, more enlightening to hear how people describe themselves. So could you give us a brief description of who you are? That's actually really difficult to do. Um, mm -hmm. If I had to try and do it for myself, I would say I'm someone who's 
intellectually curious. Um, I'm someone who's always learning um, and I'm someone who's trying to do their best to connect with their intended path. And without getting uh, overly spiritual about it, I believe in finding our true soul path. Like we each have, you know, a reason to be on this planet. Um, and that happens through twists and turns and failures and lessons. And ultimately that's the beauty of life. So I'm here for that journey. Twists and turns, you spent over 20 years in the corporate world and then you left to start your own company. So what sort of inspired this twist and turn? <laughs> and, you know, everyone thought I was crazy uh, and everyone tried to explain there had to be a reason why I left. Um, you know, the reality is I had been thinking for a long time. It was always in the back of my mind that I would want to be my own boss one day. And I'm an Aries and I know you're an Aries, too. So mm -hmm. we do, you know, we have that kind of confidence and drive. And um, I, I wanted to be my own boss one day. And I kept pushing it back, right? It was always, I'd get a promotion, I'd get a new job, I'd get, there was always a good reason not to do it. And eventually got to a point where um, I realized I had to do it now because I wasn't getting any younger. Um, there, was, there was also a series of circumstances that led me to really be ready to take that plunge. And um, ultimately it was um, a thirst to be able to, have more impact to really make a difference in people's lives. And, um, you know, my, the past 10 years of my careers before launching my own business, I spent in the luxury industry working for a, a jewelry company, which was an amazing experience, but selling, you know, expensive jewelry, which is a beautiful product. There's craftsmanship that goes into it. There's so much, you know, amazing history, but selling a luxury product to people is not how you make a difference in the world, in my opinion. Um, so it was time for me to do something else because that did not resonate. Uh, that did not feel fulfilling to me uh, at that point. That's the that's the short version of it. So then with that, how did the brand is female come to be? Like, what's the origin story behind, you know, you leave, but then how do you create this whole thing? So um, it, I always had an interest in women empowerment and you know, some of the projects and going back to my answer to your question, what's not in my resume, um, some of the projects I led in probably the past decade, you know, prior to launching my own company, um, projects that brought me the most joy and um, projects that made me the most proud uh, had to do with women empowerment. So uh, one of them was uh, I created this uh, event in partnership with uh, an organization called Telefilm Canada, which um, uh, basically promotes filmmaking and supports filmmaking in Canada. And um, we developed it in a context of TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival. So we basically created this new award ceremony and this new, this new official award that recognizes Canadian women in film uh, through prizes that would be, you know, handed out every year. And it, it really grew, it, it grew quite uh, rapidly. And um, I think we had something like seven or eight editions of it. And, you know, that was a project I imagined from start to finish and seeing the impact we had and seeing how much it meant to women filmmakers and to the entire uh, industry and how, you know, people really, uh, um, saw that it was making a difference and it was enabling conversations 
Um, and again, that's something that's not even, you know, directly linked to what my work was because basically I was working on, you know, marketing jewelry. Um, <laughs> but obviously our target, our main target client was women. And this is actually uh, an, another uh, interesting anecdote is that uh, during my time uh, in, in the past decade working in jewelry, I worked on several rebranding exercises. And uh, and when you're CMO of a, of a large company, you basically spend your life rebranding your company. It's a, it's, a, it's a process that starts over and over again. And one of the main findings of that um, of that last kind of rebranding exercise was about uh, how, you know, jewelry had to switch from targeting men because jewelry is an extremely conventional, traditional industry. Mm -hmm. And if you think even of uh, recent Tiffany's ads, well, recent, not the very recent ones because they've pivoted as well. But if you go back a few years, uh, Tiffany's campaigns would be, you know, a man holding a jewelry box behind his back. And that was the ad. So it was jewelry, which is a product primarily worn by women. And in this case, we're, you know, we'd be talking about wedding jewelry, engagement right. rings and wedding bands. And you were targeting men. And that made no sense anymore because women are, and the numbers show it, women are the driver, you know, we buy our own luxury items today. It's, you know, women self-purchase, basically that's the expression in the industry, women self-purchasers. So that was another area. And I spent a lot of time, you know, kind of analyzing um, um, that industry and just kind of, you know, consumer behavior with, uh, with women. And that was fascinating to me. And there was so much, uh, there was, it, it was also charged politically and kind of uh, <laughs> just in terms of, telling this industry that, yeah, it's no longer the men who are in charge. Like that was very difficult to accept for a lot of people. So all of these projects really kept bringing me back to doing something, um, you know, to help advance women's rights, which is uh, something that's very important to me. So fast forward, when I knew I wanted to have my own business, um, I was also seeing around me at that time, a lot of extremely talented, smart women who are launching their own thing, Right. And obviously, I spent a lot of time kind of around luxury and fashion. So women who had this amazing new idea for a fashion label or an eyewear company or, you know, cosmetics, lifestyle, whatever it was. And I wanted to be able to work with them specifically to, you know, help them grow what they were building. So I launched uh, The Brand is Female, which interestingly enough was not called The Brand is Female. Oh, I didn't when know I first launched it. Yeah, very few people know that, but some who followed me from the start will remember. Um, I also launched a podcast at the same time. And this was actually uh, a friend of mine who gave me the idea. And she said, you know, you love women empowerment so much. And it's kind of your favorite topic, you know, to, to talk about you, sh you should totally have like a podcast or like a site. And I said, Oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, I'll you know, I'll launch my my agency and then the podcast at the same time. And that's, that was going to be just a kind of a small passion project. Um, and it grew more quickly. So I came up with a name that was really uh, originally intended for the podcast, which was the female lead, no S. And then when we talk about twists and turns and stories of, you know, you learn through uh, the, the, the more difficult stuff. I received, uh, you know, an official cease and desist letter from a company that had a very similar name. They shall remain nameless, but they sent me <laughs> a legal demand and threatened to sue me if I didn't change the name. And 
to be fair, or in my defense, it wasn't exactly the same name and they had kind of their own niche, but it was too close for comfort. And that was actually a very interesting process because it forced me to rethink um, how the podcast and my business would be connected and what would be the best name for it and how it, how the mission kind of all gelled together. And, uh, and then I came up with the brand is female, which I feel like was even, you know, a, a better fit basically than the original name. And here we are. <laughs> oh my God. I love that origin story. I had no idea about the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, okay. So I haven't heard the origin story, but I've heard you talk about the challenges for women in today's corporate world. Um, and could you expand on that? Like emotionally, mentally, physically, what, what those are? Mm. And, you know, first of all, I would say I want to give a shout out to women who are succeeding and working in the corporate world because it's a tough place to be. Um, You know, most companies and there there are exceptions. And I think, you know, there is something to be said about um, the, you know, the younger generation, you know, really making a change. And we've, you know, we're finally kind of putting a dent in, uh, in, in, in this legacy that that still exists. There's still a lot of work to do. But the truth is, you know, most corporations are really built on systems that are anchored in in white uh, patriarchy, patriarchy. And uh, it's where, you know, the good old boys club still holds the power because they still control the money. Right. And women executives. And this is true. There's been, you know, it's been a lot written about this. There's been a lot uh, women experience this on a daily basis. But Women executives work harder. They are paid less. They get challenged more than executives. They are, um, you know, they are celebrated or criticized for uh, things that are completely different than their male counterparts. It'll be more about what you look like, what you sound like, how you make people feel, as opposed to your actual accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, I think part of the challenge is also that women buy into it. And it's very hard not to, because if you are, um, you know, if you're a professional working in a certain industry and you have ambition and you want to grow your career, you know, you seek approval from your superiors, you seek approval from the executives in place, you seek approval from the board of directors and uh, they're you play the game. You, know, you have to you, you have to play the game, basically. Exactly, that's it. And you end up kind of entering, you know, that vicious cycle of, uh, you know, you if you want to if you want a promotion, there's a certain way a woman has to behave. If you want to raise, there's a certain way a woman has to behave. I remember having a conversation with uh, Julieta Dexter, uh, who I had on the podcast, and she runs uh, one of the the larger uh, fashion PR firms uh, based out of London, UK and New York City. And and she's based in in London. And she would talk about, and she actually wrote a book about this. And she talked about how, you know, women are literally taught to leave everything that makes a woman, uh, you know, who she is, we're thought to leave that at home. So things like emotional intelligence, uh, you know, maybe the the more nurturing side of our our way of doing things. Uh, she even talked about her mom qualities. You know, that's something that's not celebrated in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And um, she, and actually, she makes sure that the workplace she leads was built on a on a different system. So for me, what this was is, you know, 
it was literally burning myself out because, you know, I was made to believe that um, I had to work harder. I had to prove something. And there's something very interesting too, because especially when you're a young woman, and actually I just realized this in a conversation I had with a guest um, on a recent episode um, of the, of the Brennan's female uh, who's called Eva Barboni. And she talked about how, when she was a young woman and and she worked in politics, which, you know, has kind of an extra degree of, uh, of, of difficulty and obstacles Mm -hmm. for women. Um, She talked about how, when she was a young woman, she, she kind of excused that by thinking she didn't have the proper experience yet. So if, you know, she'd be talking in a room full of her colleagues and then, the same idea was expressed by her or by her male colleague. They would ignore it when it came from her. And then, you know, the, the, the guy next to her would be celebrated when he said basically the same thing. She thought it was about experience, right? Like, I'm, I haven't been doing this long enough, so my opinion's not as respected yet. But then as she got older, she realized that nothing to do, even when she nothing. became kind of the more experienced person around the room, you know, uh, whatever a man said would would be uh, would be recognized, you know, before whatever she had to say. And I went through that as well. I started working uh, when I was still in university or starting working, in, you know, in the professional world as a uh, in, in communications and marketing when I was still in university. So I kind of stayed with that mindset that, oh, no, it must be because there's somebody more seasoned than me. So they're not going to respect my opinion or my ideas as much until I realized as I kept getting older and didn't change. And then I, as I got, uh, you know, more uh, senior positions and was given executive responsibilities, it would still be, um, you know, you know, you really have something to prove because you're still, you're young to be a VP or you're young to be an executive, right? So you'll have to work harder than everybody else. And prove, then don't give you know, me the role. Exactly. And, and, you know, you kind of enter that cycle as a woman of trying to prove yourself, working harder, burning yourself out and, and kind of thinking you're playing the game and it's all good until, until you realize that it doesn't have to be this way. And that, you know, this is complete bullshit. And these measures of success and these measures of accomplishments are not anchored in anything other than, you know, white patriarchy trying to have the world follow their own rules, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And actually, I would bring up, um, I came across a quote that made a, less, a lot of sense for me. Um, it's this um, psychologist called uh, Valerie Ryan, and she um, she published a book. I, so I don't, I, there are some ideas in there that don't you know, make as much sense for me, but there's a quote I came across that, that really spoke to me. And it said, uh, women's empowerment has been hijacked by the patriarchal overculture and became about giving a woman the opportunity to build herself out, to burn herself out by working harder and doing more while playing by the patriarchal rules. They used to burn us at the stake. Now they just hand us the torches. Absolutely. So we're lighting our own you know, our own uh, stake ourselves, basically. And that rang very true for me. And I know many women who have gone through the same experience. And there's even been studies recently about, you know, why, why are there not more women actually wanting to, you know, uh, kind of climb the ranks and get access to those more senior positions? Well, I mean, 
first, we need to address the fact that women don't get as many opportunities, but then there's something interesting happening. It's women waking up and realizing that, wait, why would I want to be, you know, literally going through burnout and spending my entire life just trying to get this job or trying to do this job where the odds are already stacked against me, right? It's like, no, we aspire to something better in life. Yeah, to like some joy. So, I mean, when you, you know, you're pushing yourself like this, I'm guessing when you were in the corporate world, you didn't even like think about self-care, but Mm -hmm. what does self-care look like to you now? And you're absolutely right because I was, and if you had asked me who I was, you know, I don't know, five years ago, I would have probably answered a very ambitious person. And I took pride in that ambition until I realized, yeah, ambition is great. You know, having goals for yourself and wanting to, uh, you know, to to achieve them and to build, that's fantastic, but not to the detriment of, you know, quality of life and self-care and your health. And that was that was a big lesson for me was it doesn't have to always be go, go, go. Right. And there's there's other things that matter. Um, I already knew already things mattered, but it was kind of finding um, stopping, you know, putting an end to defining myself and defining my life by my ambition and my career. Mm -hmm. That was the big one for me. So self-care for me now is giving myself the space to be. And because you can't be doing all the time, you have to be, right? So this can mean, this means different things to different people, but it's about recharging, it's grounding. For me, it's also making space for spirituality. Um, It's also space for the the physical body. it's also about allowing ex- um, emotions to be experienced. Um, and this is something else that we've been thought, um, especially in the corporate world, to ignore and to push back, right? It's not, especially if you're a woman, you sh- you're not allowed to feel any emotion. So no, you can't, you can't be upset if people are yelling at you all day long and criticizing what you're doing, right? Because you're hysterical um, if you do. Exactly. Or you're too sensitive. That's the big one. You are too sensitive. I wish those words could get erased from the like, like men should not be allowed to use those words. Um, so you know what? Self-care is being sensitive <laughs> and feeling all the feels, right? Because, you know, your feelings send important messages. You have to listen to them. Well, sometimes, you know, feelings are overwhelming because they come through in like very tough moments. So I wonder Mm -hmm. if there's like a quote or like a faith or phrase that you, you know, say to yourself to sustain you in these moments or a principle that guides you. Um, There's a few. Um, The ones that come to mind with, you know, what we've just been talking about. So um, one is feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, and actually, that one was shared to me. It's not an original quote by her, but uh, Caroline Issa, who's a, um, she heads a Tank magazine in London and is um, uh, known as an international fixture in fashion. And, a, you know, she, she's more than an influencer because it's, it's, that wouldn't be an accurate word to describe her, but she's influential. Mm-hmm. Um, and Caroline, um, I had the chance to partner with her on a project and she actually told me those words. I heard her speak about her experience of leaving the, the world of finance to kind of take a plunge and go support this independent fashion magazine in the UK. 
uh, which was like a huge, which felt like a huge risk at the time. And, and that, that's something she kept repeating herself, feel the fear and do it anyway. So that really spoke to me. But the other one um, and um, was, I mean, there's a long list, but the, another one I'd like to bring up is uh, Mary Oliver, who's a, a poet and mm-hmm. uh, American, well-known American poet. And her, uh, the verse in her poem, um, doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. Oh, that's like my mom's like favorite thing to say. Oh, really? I love that. Yeah, that that like I can't even quote that without getting, you know, goosebumps. So then I'm imagining that leaving the corporate world was horrendously scary. Um, What was the scariest thing about that? Well, first I would say, and that's what's interesting about fear. And often, you know, I've heard people say there's a difference between fear and anxiety because fear is actually something that only lasts a few microseconds, right? Anxiety is what can last for a really long time because fear means you're going through it. Mm-hmm. Um, someone has also said, you know, fear is can be uh, interpreted as meaning um false events appear in Very real. real. Yes. Because we often imagine that something is going to be a certain way and it usually doesn't turn out that way. Anyway, so for me, it wasn't the, the anxiety came before I made the decision as I was making this. Once I made the decision, that was the most liberating moment of my life because I just ran with it, right? And then there might be other, you know, wor- worries that kind of pop up, but the anxiety when I was making the decision, of course, it's, are you going to have, you know, I'm not going to have a regular paycheck every two weeks anymore. So, you know, financial stability and um, it's always, we have so much fear around scarcity, right? We always, we always fear that the worst is going to happen, but it ends up working out, right? Um, And so that was probably one, but it was also, there was something that, you know, a lot of my identity had been uh, built for me or defined by my career up to that point. And because I had spent the past 10 years with a specific company and a brand and, and I was, you know, I was very publicly attached to that brand. I was doing a lot of interviews. I was on TV. There had been a lot of really public moments and a lot of people knew me as the person who did that job for that company. So it was having to let go of that part of my persona and kind of realizing I'm my own person outside of that company and that brand. And there was a certain level of, you know, I I don't know if it's fear, but there was a certain level of difficulty around that. So then, okay, with that difficulty, what what has been the best thing about this departure? So many things. And I don't (laughs) want to sound cliche and say everything. Um, but you know, I want to say it's like, I, the doors just opened when, like when I made that job after that jump, when I, when I made that decision to leave and, and to have my own, uh, company. Um, it's funny, someone had said to me at the time, you'll see when you're, when you have your own business, you'll, you'll feel everything more. You'll, the highs will be higher and the lows will be lower. And it's exactly that, but that is fantastic. And that is beautiful. And that's the best thing to experience. I mean, being an entrepreneur is not, I'm not suggesting everyone becomes an entrepreneur, right? You have to go with what makes sense for you. There's, you know, women and individuals who 
accomplished fantastic things working. We need we need people who want to work for other organizations, right? But <laughs> for me, it's what made sense. Um, it's it's who I was, and it's it's where it's where my journey had brought me. Uh, but the sense of accomplishment for me and the 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 the, the independence that came from that, mm-hmm. and the fact that I could start uh, really being involved in all the projects I wanted to be involved with, like that is unparalleled. You can't match that. Well, you know, you mentioned independence and I read an article where you said that fashion was sort of your armor and Mm -hmm. losing it helped you find yourself. So could you speak to that? Because you just said, you know, you were that person connected to that company. And so like, what did you find when you got rid of that armor? Well, I think I think for the first year after (laughs) I left 20 years in the corporate world, I literally just wore like jeans like old jeans and sweatshirts for a year uh not not that i'm especially you know overdressed right now with a little <laughs> covid working from home but there was kind of a you know i used to have the you know designer head to toe and designer handbags and you know collect shoes and uh, and uncomfortable shoes and now i'm like what was the point um it was also coming from an industry the luxury industry that is the, defined so much, you know, by looks and appearances and, um, you know, which d- there's there's a good side to that, right? There's a, there's a creativity in that world. There's, again, I talked about craftsmanship and history, but for me, it had become, I, and I, I know a lot of women uh, and even men go through that. You kind of, you want to look like you, you want to look like your job, right? Mm-hmm. And we kind of build these ideas of, I'll have to look a certain way, dress a certain way. There's also clothes in the corporate world. There's a reason everyone wears suits. And I think that is completely outdated today, right? You know, if it feels great to wear a suit, that's fantastic. But imposing the suit doesn't make sense anymore. Um, and when you look at the history of fashion as well, and actually Sage Paul, who is a um, indigenous designer from Canada, who uh, who created uh, Toronto's Indigenous or Indigenous Fashion Week? Uh, she she was on the on my podcast recently. And she spoke about how you know if you look at the history of fashion, it was created by the aristocracy for you know wealthy people to be able to uh, you know kind of define their code and establish how different they were from the poor peasants who couldn't afford certain clothes. So anyway, there's there's a whole thing and. For me, getting rid of kind of that old image, which, as you said, was felt like an armor, was was extremely freeing. You mentioned COVID. Um, and I know you resonate with the saying, things happen for you, not to you. So I wonder if you've been able to sort of keep this in perspective during COVID, especially as a business owner who is responsible for that paycheck coming in. And listen, it's not, COVID has been extremely, I mean, 2020 has been extremely challenging for, for everyone <laughs> and it continues to be, um, and it, especially for business owners. And, you know, it's, it's I, I feel horrible and it's, it's, I'm saddened to see uh, so many entrepreneurs who have worked so hard for, for something over the years. And then, you know, something like this happens, a crisis happens, they have to close. It's, it's kind of, it's outside of their control, right? Because we never thought we'd have to shut down shops or restaurants or whatever it is. Um, however, I'm somebody who always, uh, you know, looks for the silver lining. And I believe that things happen for us and not to us. So there's always a lesson 
the planet needed a reset. Mm -hmm. Um, We can talk about just like everything, right? The way everything works from the way we consume to the way the political world uh, works to, to, I mean, the BLM movement, like finally, you know, protesting for social justice that includes women's rights that includes uh you know equality for for all for all people um there's still so there was that reset needed that's how i see it and then if we look at a more micro level um it's for me it was also and when i hear i love when i hear entrepreneurs say you know what covid yeah it was tough and it was scary especially at first because we didn't know what was going to happen it's still scary but mm-hmm. um we were able to really focus on you know re kind of thinking over what our mission is as a company or pivot and start this new project i was on the phone with somebody today who just she said i had you know i was working on this project for years and then it took covid for me to have the time to actually put it into action and that's how i see it for my own business as well right it's um, yeah, do you know, I have clients uh, who have stores who work in retail or they've been affected, Every, you know, everyone has. But then it's about finding the silver lining and believing that, you know, I don't want to say everything happens for a reason. But yeah, most things happen for a reason if you're willing to learn the lesson. So then who have been the people who have inspired you? I mean, so many. Um, there's, um, you know women who paved the way for other women and who try to uh, work on making the world better for other women by advancing women's rights are my my real heroes. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was one of them. Um, I, when I watched her documentary, you know, I think I cried the whole time. Like mm-hmm. she was an absolute inspiration to me. Uh, Kamala Harris today, like women, progressive women in politics we're really trying to make a difference and the political world is so tough for women. Um, and you know, one of them, and she'd probably be, she'll probably be surprised to hear me say this, but my mom has been an inspiration. Um, you know, my mom was born after the second world war and it was still a pretty conservative place for women in society. Right. And she, never followed the rules. She saved up her money and traveled to Paris because she wanted to attend medical school at La Sorbonne and she got accepted as a foreign student. And this was in the 60s. Not that many women went to medical school still. Um, She actually started her medical studies and discovered that she hated <laughs> she hated um, being actually working in a medical field and didn't like blood and things like that. So she came back to Canada to pursue a career in fine arts and then ended up teaching for a long part of her, her career as well. And she always, um, she was never married, remained independent her whole life and did things her way. And, you know, not many women of that generation uh, can, can have done that. And that was, that's been an inspiration for me. We love shout outs to the moms on this podcast, <laughs> I will say. Um, so you recently interviewed Abigail Spencer, where she was speaking about, you know, life and loss and the things that we sort of create or can birth from loss. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you have any experience of your own with this. Yes. Um, yeah, and Abigail is someone. So 
interestingly enough, I met Abigail and she she shared it during our interview. We met on a on a retreat. It was a, it's a spiritual retreat. Um, so we connected over a, a lot of those things. But um, you know, it's again, it's going back to the idea that um lessons are learned and we grow basically from the stuff that's not easy. So loss is one of them. And it's also about allowing ourselves to experience loss and loss doesn't have to mean just a person. Right. Mm -hmm. And I lost my dad earlier this year and, and that was certainly a, a, a pivotal moment and it happened during COVID too. So it's like, there's like so many layers of, you know, additional, I don't know, difficulty attached to that. It's, it's not like normal. It's, it's grief amplified, I would say, because the whole world has been feeling grief with the events that we have been going through. And COVID is an experience of loss, right? Mm -hmm. Collectively, we have been living this loss. And again, it's finding, you know, loss is here to make us connect with those feelings. And loss can be a very creative time as well, because all the feelings and thoughts, and we're very vulnerable and emotional and raw, and you can harness that power, right? And turn it into uh, something positive because it kind of it kind of forces you to listen to yourself and to look inwards more. And that's how that's how I look at loss. If you could have 30 minutes of uninterrupted conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you choose? I mean, now because we lost her a few weeks ago, I would say RBG. I had a feeling you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she, I mean, she was such, you know, what she was able to accomplish for women. Like, um, you know, she reminds me of my mom a little bit. And my mom was not a, she worked in a completely different field. But just coming from that generation where, women empowerment wasn't a thing like you, you know, you would get married and have kids. And, uh, you know, it, when you read about RBG's earlier life, like she couldn't get a job. And she said this in interviews, right? She couldn't get a job as a, uh, as a lawyer in a law firm, because they didn't hire women at that time. And so which is ultimately how she got on the bench, because and she, she kind of credited that later and said, imagine if I had if I did get the job as an associate lawyer earlier in my career, I probably wouldn't be where I was. So that's what made her, uh, she kind of, her circumstances and the, the obstacles that existed for women, she turned that into the opportunity to shatter the glass ceiling, mm -hmm. you know, create laws that could open doors for women. And yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to have a conversation with her. So when I, the day that I, leave this earth, I guess we can all be reunited and have conversations with all these amazing women who, are, who have left the earth and, and done so much for us. Absolutely. Before I ask my, you know, two favorite closing out questions, I, I have a question that I know that you love to ask people. So we're going to flip the tables and I want to know, what do you think women, women should do more of? And this is funny because if anybody listens <laughs> to my show, I ask that question to every guest and I love hearing every answer. And the way I would answer it is I want women to stop being afraid and I want women to realize what power they hold. Um, and I, I often say, you know, I have a lot of women entrepreneurs who come on my podcast and I work with a lot of women entrepreneurs and the challenge when I speak to them is never, the, the biggest challenge in their life is never 
getting the right skills so they know how to put together this kick-ass business plan or how to, you know, raise funds or, you know, and I've spoken to women who have raised like hundreds of millions of dollars in seed rounds for their startup or, um, you know, women who have, you know, I don't know, they have teams of hundreds of people reporting to them or if they've made laws, they've, you know, um, the challenge is always um, believing in their own power. And they, you know, we, we set so many obstacles for ourselves as women, again, because of, you know, false events appearing real. So we kind of limit, and it, it, listen, it comes from white patriarchy because we've been <laughs> thought that there's things we can't do and there's a certain way that we have to be. So we kind of have to overcome that and really realize that everything's possible. What is your greatest fear for humanity? And, you know, what kind of things are you doing to stop that coming to pass? My greatest fear for humanity, I mean, it'd be hard to answer this without talking about the global um, climate crisis, um, because I think we've been causing so much damage to our home, to our planet. And if we don't act soon enough, um, we won't be able to reverse that. So, and it's, you know, yes, it is about individual action, but it's also about, um, and it, 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 by the way, it connects to, it connects to human rights. Mm -hmm. We're shitty to our planet because we're shitty to each other as humans. We have laws in place that put making money and as much money as possible as a priority over human life, over respect of each other, over equality, over protecting the planet. Um, the fact that a dead tree is worth more than a living tree doesn't make sense. So it's, and, and for me, it's, it's also about, you know, the moment we can, the moment we treat, we, we, we treat each other um, and we treat humans as the priority, our respect for the planet will follow. Right. I mean, even the poorest people are the ones that are the most vulnerable to like the tragedies of climate change. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that has to end. And I'm, I'm glad at least that there is uh, a, mo a movement of protest that COVID has, uh, you know, opened the doors for that, but we have to keep fighting. Mm -hmm. So then thinking of fighting, what is your greatest hope for humanity? And, you know, what are you doing to make that hope a reality? Well, connecting to your previous question, um, uh, my greatest hope is that, yeah, we are seeing the change. We're seeing people fight to, reverse this right and it's again it's about placing humans and life first um and life in the sense of um you know our 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 rights as humans and and making sure that all of us have access to the same opportunities and are treated with respect and have the same rights and uh, you know that um we're able to live in a in a place where uh, people are paid the same wage for, you know, for the same work um, and that we have access to jobs, opportunities, you know, the chance to build a business if that's what we choose to be doing. Um, and the fact now that so many people and the younger generation are protesting and what makes me really happy is, you know, I love seeing, you know, there's a lot of criticism and there's a dark side to it around use of social media and, you know, how much of a, a role it plays in our lives. But I love seeing the young advocates who are using social platforms to, uh, for change, right. And to mm -hmm. promote, um, to promote doing things differently and to talk about 
injustice and uh, clearly call out the injustice and um, that that gives me hope. And what I'm doing, well, that's why the, I created The Brand is Female and I've recently, you know, kind of COVID has helped kind of <laughs> solidified that pivot. I, I'm so tired of hearing the word pivot, but I'm using it. Um, it's that new direction where I want to work, continue working with uh, women leaders and women change makers and really advancing, you know, doing my part to give a voice to women who are working to advance women's rights and social justice in general. And I mean, if I can play a, even a s tiny, small part in that, then that is, you know, that gives me that gives me great joy. That was a very Ubuntu answer of you. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ava, thank you very much for, um, you know, sitting on the other side of the table and letting me interview you on Everyday Ubuntu. It was great. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure and an honor to be on Everyday Ubuntu. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today. And don't forget to hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Follow me at mungi.ingomane on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback on the show. I'll be back in a week with a new episode. Thank you for listening to Everyday Ubuntu.